Well, good morning, all five of you. It's good morning. It's good. <laughs> it must be the end of the semester. Oh, no, they're coming. They're coming. Welcome, welcome, welcome. They keep coming. Welcome, welcome. All right. It's, they're not late. You don't need, I mean, it's fine. If you've been watching the news this week, you heard the news of another mass killing in California this time. 14 killed. 21 people injured. Um, we live in a very broken, hurting world. The pain is real. The injustices are real. And if we stop long enough, we begin to ask questions about our broken world. Like, God, where are you? And why aren't you doing something about this? And God, are you still a God at work? And in some ways, today's chapel is a modest response to those kind of questions. Is God at work? Of course, the answer is in the affirmative, yes, God is indeed at work. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest seed, but it grows into a tree in which a bird can nest. So the kingdom of God, the way the kingdom of God works is often in the humble and in the simple activities in the world. Think of Jesus' birth this month as we celebrate it in a forgotten city of Bethlehem in a dusty animal stall. There came the King of Kings. Very modest beginning. So today, we have some stories to remind us that indeed, the God of the universe is at work. Often in very mustard seed-like ways, but as that seed is planted into the heart of a person, it blossoms and brings transformation. And today, we get to hear from three seniors to tell how that seed was planted in their life and how God has transformed them. And I pray that you will listen. And if we listen closely, I think we'll hear God speaking to us, reminding us of his grace and his mercy and his desire for us and his willingness to be involved in our lives. Now, with that in mind, let's prepare our hearts to listen. So will you close your eyes, still your heart for a moment, kind of push back some of the activities of the day or the distractions. Father, we want to acknowledge the brokenness of our world, that in many cases we see sin having the victory, but we know more to the story. That you are a God of grace and mercy and kindness. That forgiveness is available through the blood of Christ. And that indeed you are a God active in the world. You still care about people. You still transform people. And so help us today to listen to your spirit as you would speak through our speakers today. To know once again how you care for people in very personal, intimate ways. So thank you. We ask for your peace upon our speakers. May they have courage and boldness and a great dose of your peace and calm. We pray now in your name. Amen. 
Would you please welcome our first speaker, Karina. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall speak. These are the words that the Lord said to Moses in Exodus 4. This is after Moses said, Lord, I'm not eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue. But what did God tell him? He reminded him that he made his mouth. Hi, my name is Karina, and I was raised in a Christian home with two parents and two siblings. And my parents emigrated from Kazakhstan, Russia, to Minnesota in 1992, and shortly afterwards, I was born. And as the oldest child, I latched onto the identity of being the responsible one. And I saw myself as the obedient daughter, always trying to please my parents and to even try to outdo my brother and sister in that. Um, and I saw myself as a good student, trying so hard to excel in school so that my professors would like me. Um, and people saw me this way too. They, I guess you could call me a goody-two-shoes kind of girl. But I also was called the quiet one. And I did think, like, is there something wrong with me? Like, why am I so quiet? But I just thought that maybe that's my personality. You know, maybe I'm just more reserved naturally. And as um, I had Russian roots, I didn't feel like I could fully identify with the Russians or the Americans. I, um, my family and I, we went to a Russian Baptist church for many years. So in a way, um, I was kind of sheltered and I just felt like I couldn't branch out as much. And at the age of 15, 16, I was involved in church. I went to youth group, you know, did the church activities. So in a way, it just kind of felt like I was just born and raised in the church. Um, at age 15, I thought that um, the right next thing to do would be to get baptized. Um, I didn't feel quite ready for it, but I still decided to go through with it because I um, went to the classes. Um, and after I got baptized, life seemed to just stay the same. And as high school began, um, I kind of withdrew from people. I had a few friends, one or two um, at school and at church, but it still felt like I couldn't be free to be me. Like I just felt kind of held back, like I was an observer. I'd watch a lot of other people um, be really engaging out and outgoing, but I didn't feel that way. So I slowly started to just withdraw and kind of isolate myself. And I began to watch um, a lot of television shows, movies, and listen to music, and this was really unhealthy for me. Um, so this was my life. It was school, trying my best at school, trying to please my parents, um, going to church, and all this entertainment that I filled myself with. And I also struggled with lust, and so, I didn't really feel like anyone really knew this side to my life, that they didn't know that, you know, I was doing all these things, but on the side I was just filling myself well, this, with, with all this worldly entertainment. Um, so I just felt like no one really understood or knew that. And I felt guilty because I knew that 
um, it's not right, something's not quite right. And so I'd repent, but it would be more out of fear, just um, fearing that God would punish me if I didn't repent. And it was a private thing, so um, nothing really changed because I never told anyone. And one morning, just all this, the sins of my life just really weighed on me heavily, and I began to think, like, I can't do anything. I feel so helpless. And that morning, I just, I knew I wasn't living for the Lord, but I just felt helpless, like there's nothing I can do. Um, that morning, I got into my car to drive to school, um, and I was in my neighborhood, and just imagine four lanes, two lanes going one way and two the other way. And so I was gonna make a left turn, and I saw that from the, le the left side of the road, a bus was coming into my neighborhood. And I assumed that the bus was just gonna come and that that side was clear, and the right side was clear too. So I turned left, and then I saw a car zoom by um, where that bus was blocking that view, and I was just kind of shocked like, wow, what if I had just waited a few more seconds to turn left? Maybe I would have gotten T-boned or something. And that was a 50 miles per hour zone. Um, I didn't really start thinking about it until I started driving back home. And then I started to think, like, Lord, why am I still here? Why would you let me live? My life was so self-centered and self-focused. Um, but that was when the Lord started to... Um, helped me understand his love and his grace, that I could only um, receive um, the payment that Christ made. I could only receive what Christ has done. Um, I couldn't earn it. And so I was just so overwhelmed by God's love. And um, his grace was like an ocean. I, I couldn't resist responding to him. And so God changed my heart that day. And he opened the eyes of my heart that I could see his beauty in creation, which I hadn't seen before. And all of a sudden, I just saw the trees and the sun. And I realized how the world is just a small reflection of God's infinite majesty and beauty. And, and the Lord also changed the desires of my heart. So I just really wanted to know him and go to church and do those things. Not because I had to, but because I wanted to. And he, be, he began to free me of those um, sins as well. But as believers, we're always going to be fighting against sin. But God has given us power over sin, that we could overcome it. Sin does, no longer controls us. God's spirit controls us. I also began to see just how awesome and glorious God really was. Isaiah 40, 15, and 17 really struck me. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are counted as the dust on the scales. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. And it struck me how the God of the universe came in the flesh and he would die for the nations. The nations are less than nothing. They're emptiness. We live on a, um, earth, which is a speck um, compared to God. And I just was really in awe of who the Lord really was. And so from, from that point on, I started finding all my delight and joy in Christ and realizing that he could only satisfy. Indeed, we were created for nothing less 
than to enjoy, admire, and glorify the greatness, greatness in the universe, Jesus Christ. And so God began to prompt me to share about him because um, I just really wanted people to taste um, the freedom and his love. And he opened up opportunities for me to speak. Um, I tried street evangelism, which I was terrified of, but I thought I might try it. And um, I just first observed other people evangelizing. And over time, I was able to um, join in and start these conversations. And I wouldn't say that now, like, I'm a pro or anything. There's still sometimes fear that I, that I have to overcome. But the Lord has been teaching me and really just guiding me um, towards that. Also, at Inver Hills Community College, I took a speech class. And I just thought, if I have an opportunity to speak about anything, I might as well choose my faith and my... Um, my professor said, I sense a common theme among your speeches, because every speech I chose was around Christianity. Um, for my informative speech, I informed the class of how reliable the New Testament manuscripts were. <laughs> and we had to um, induct a very, very important person into our Hall of Fame. So I inducted Jesus Christ. <laughs> and um, <laughs> thank you. Another speech for the persuasive one, I persuaded that there's only one way to God, and um, I got to share the gospel in that too, so that was really good. <laughs> um, so the Lord really gave me boldness and confidence, because I really, I would have never done those things without him. Um, and at Crown College, I continued to grow, and I met some of the most caring individuals I know today. Um, my advisor, Dr. Zoff, and many of my friends really reflected Christ's love towards me and acceptance, and I realized that if they love me, how much more does God love us? And also, just speaking here today was a step um, that the Lord really helped me do. <laughs> so I began to grow in confidence. And as I began um, talking about Moses, I want to encourage you that... Um, God created our voices and our mouths for a reason and a purpose. He didn't make our, our voices so that we'd keep them to ourselves. He made our voices so we could glorify him and honor him um, and share the amazing things that he's done in our lives. And here at Crown, God is shaping our voices. But one day when we graduate, we could continue to use that voice that he's given us. Um, and, a and a verse that's really helped me to step out and to do things I normally wouldn't um, is Isaiah 41.10. It's God's promise to us. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Thank you. I told you you'd hear stories of God at work. That's marvelous. Well, our, our next uh, senior uh, was a student I hired about three years ago to serve as an FXer. And little did I know that when I hired him that I would get lost with him in two of the world's great cities. I traveled with our next speaker to Paris a few summers ago, and then this last summer we were in London together getting lost. And when you get lost in a big city, you walk a lot. And when you walk a lot, you 
talk a lot. And so as a result of that, uh, we have gotten to know each other quite well. We have prayed together. We have struggled together. We have laughed together. And along the way, I've learned two critical things about our speaker. First thing I've learned is that he strongly desires to be available to God. He wants to be where God wants him to be. Wherever that means, uh, he wants to be there. And as a result of that, he's been a part of our short-term trips, our DS trips to London and Paris, as mentioned. He's been involved in missions trips to Dominican Republic as well. Second thing I learned that kind of flows out of that is that our speaker is a servant. And I saw that in Paris as we were asked, as our little team was asked, if we would lead worship for a Chinese-speaking church. And, of course, we looked at each other and said, well, none of us know Chinese. Uh, What are we going to do? And Josh was like, we can do it. Let's do it. And off we went. And there were other occasions on these trips, of course, where you have opportunities to serve. And in every situation, Josh is the first one to get out of his seat and begin serving. So if you have something you need done, I'm thinking like a paper or something like that, I recommend Josh to you. So without further ado, would you please welcome my friend, Josh Flanders. I don't know whether to be scared about that or if I should actually take you up on that offer. Um, My name is Josh Flanders. I'm the GIT coordinator, and if you don't know that by now, I've been speaking a lot, so hopefully you figured that out. Um, But I was brought up in a Christian home with a mother and a father at the time that had been sober for about 20 years and now for over close to 40 years. So to say the least, they have been through a lot. They were hippies back in the day, and smoking pot was the least of their hopes and dreams. They had moved on to bigger and better things at the time, and that may seem a little off topic for me, but that's where my story begins, because they knew my parents at that time. They knew me. They knew the hairs on their heads. They knew their capabilities, and they knew the dreams that they had. He knew their hearts, and he also knew that they needed to see each other on an occasion during an AA meeting. When my mother walked through the doors, my dad saw, and he knew immediately. And the funniest thing is about that is he was dating a different person at that time. (laughs) A year later and 30, uh, actually a year later they were married and 33 years later here we are. So God has given me so amazing of a time in my life. And his grace has allowed me to to experience a life given with different lenses and forgiveness and compassion. And we'll start off by my being born. My parents were told by many doctors that they couldn't have kids. So my father had one before they were married. And then they also adopted when they figured out that they couldn't have me. Mark, when they had Mark, um, they, when they adopted him, he was, he was diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder, which made it a little harder for them. Um, so they had to work with him. Um, but when they had me, at the beautiful age of 40 for my mom and the springish age of 44 for my dad, everything changed. <laughs> I gave my life to Christ at an early age, at the age of five, and I was sitting in a Sunday school room when my pastor came up to me, and he asked me if I knew Jesus. Being raised in a Christian home, I said yes, and he proceeded to lead me through the gospel. And something interesting happened that day. God and Satan had started a war over my heart. And that started to rip apart my heart in a very, very good way, as everybody knows. But right from there, I could tell so evidently that God and Satan really began to war over my heart. Something was going on inside of me that I didn't quite know and realize what was going to happen. So I no longer had a desire to live, but to also grow stronger in my faith. At the age of five years old, 
And I thought everything was going to be easy at that time, but little did I know that it wasn't. And that was until middle school. So going into middle school was a real challenge. Being homeschooled and starting to work my way through Boy Scouts was nothing easy. I had become the laughing stock of many, and had weeded my way through many situations where it felt as if nobody liked me or homeschoolers. So no matter the good things I would say for my education or the excuses I came up with, it never added up to be enough. This not only led me to look into approval for different things, but it also led me to a platform where I would look for women and pornography. Now begins the life that I will always be true, that I will always think to be a true miracle. On December 28th, 2009, I became incredibly sick. I keeled over in the bathroom of my parents' home and didn't know what was happening. I became so sick that my mom took, decided to take me to the hospital, but I faked it and didn't tell her that I was in much pain. A few days later, I had even more intense pain, and it felt like I was being stabbed in the intestines, and there was nothing I could do about it. So two months through the pain and agony of my stomach, I decided to go see my doctor. After many doctor's visits, they couldn't find anything. Nobody knew what was going on. So they decided to put me on heavy painkillers and oxycodone. And the pain was so great that none of those painkillers and the oxycodone would remedy it. That's when the doctors told me that I would have to live without eating any sugar, any candy, any chocolate, sodas. And I couldn't even have salad dressings. I couldn't have anything acidic. I couldn't have um, beef usually, and I couldn't have vegetables or fruits. The only foods I could eat were really lean beef and chicken, and also very lean salads without any salad dressing. And even then, the pain was so unbearable that I couldn't eat. But all I could hear going through my mind was Joshua 1 verse 9, which says, Be strong and courageous, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. An overlap occurs during all of this. Up until the point of 16 years old, my father and I had a wonderful relationship. But these things started to really take a turn for the worse. And my puberty and what we thought of as old age for my dad became a huge point of contention for us both. We were always so angry with one another. We never got along, and it was a daily consignment for us to argue with each other, to the po- almost to the point of physical violence, where we were cussing each other out. I was so hurting from these traumatic experiences that I turned even farther away from God and my earthly father in this. And because my relationship had waned, I turned more prominently to the love of others and not to Christ. Over the next few months, my illness became worse, and it got to a point where I was so physically ill um, that my ribcage started throwing, uh, thro- showing through to my body. My, I was, by December, I was a pale 5'11", 135-pound, 17-year-old boy. And sure, my parents were around for this, but what child so hurting and so much pain sees that they're around for this? But December 28th, 2010 was a complete miracle. I just got done spending time with my girlfriend at the time, and we were on our way back home when I got incredibly sick again. I became so severely sick that I threw up 25 times in a matter of two hours. After those two hours, I slept for almost a full day. And in waking up from that deep sleep, I felt energized. I got up, I walked around, and to this day, I have not had any pains in my stomach or intestines. And I can fully proclaim that God has healed me from that awful disease that we'd see as Crohn's disease, and the doctors looked over every single time, but God has healed me from that. And through my stubbornness and my being cranky, God took me and molded me even if I didn't realize it yet. And this showed me later on that I really could believe the verse in Philippians 4, verse 13, that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Moving forward, my father was happy for me, yet we still bickered and fought. My girlfriend of a year at the time began to see a change in me that she never saw before, and she started to doubt. 
Not long after that, she got into a severe horse accident, and the horse bucked her off. They thought she was paralyzed right at that moment, but it was very lucky that she actually did not become paralyzed. She was just immobile for a couple of weeks due to a small bone being broken in her hip. The doctors also diagnosed her with a concussion as well as long-term memory loss. When I returned from spring break, I had found that she had lost most memory of me, and even in remembering who I was, she forgot who we were. And then not long after, she ended up breaking it off and decided to move on with life, which would have been a lot more acceptable if, and for me, if my dad was not diagnosed with prostate cancer. This brings me to my turning point in life. I still attended my church on Wednesdays, even through the deep wounding that I had felt. And I found myself in a youth service one Wednesday evening uh, when my youth pastor, uh, Brent Silkey, was speaking. He started to present his life in such a manner that blew me away. He had been through so many deep issues, and he had done so many different things, and it was huge. And I can't comprehend to this day still what he went through. But Brent knew one thing, and he knew it with all of his heart, that he knew the Father's love. And he began to explain how God had changed him and how he had molded him, and he is this God of love and affection. And he spoke about how God just was there for him, and then I saw the change. And I wanted that too. So during my time that evening, I rededicated my life to Christ at the age of 17 and started righting the wrongs that had become so severe to me. Not long after, I decided to come to Crown College and start a degree in English education, which usually for most people means you're going to be homeless in a few years. <laughs> I wish I could say that it has been the best, most amazing experience I've ever had in my life, but that would definitely be a lie. While being here has been an incredible time in my life, it has also been very hard, and while school comes easy, life necessarily does not. My freshman year was an intense year of figuring out who I was and realizing who my friends were and what I wanted to do with my life. And in that summer, I actually changed my major from English education to business administration. And to have a single testimony about my time here at Crown is very difficult because many things have happened and I have been presented with many amazing opportunities. I've been able to travel with Athletes in Action to New York twice to play in the New York Collegiate Baseball League, and I've also been to the Dominican Republic to play against the best Dominican, Puerto Rican, and Cuban prospects in baseball. I've also had the opportunity to travel with Crown, as Bill said earlier, to Paris and to London, yeah, London, and that has been an amazing time as well. These have all helped me gain in leadership skills, and I've started to appreciate new cultural experiences. I've also been able to find Jesus more clearly in my life because of these experiences, as he has shown me in some, and he's shown up in some incredible ways that I never expected would happen before. And if I had more time, I would share these with you. And living on campus has also changed my life. I had the option to commute, but me and my parents decided that I should get the real college experience. And by doing that, I have become an effector. I have been a part of men's ministries, and I'm also the GIT coordinator. If I didn't live here my freshman year, I would have never met the most, probably the most amazing person on this earth, Marcus Dipsilas. <laughs> Which is true. He has been the most amazing friend to me for the last four years, and if it weren't for him and his encouragement, thank you. <laughs> if it weren't for him and his encouragement, I wouldn't have come back here my sophomore year. I would have left Crown. And I'm going to miss you so much. My time here at Crown hasn't all been cupcakes and gravy. I've experienced two friends commit suicide, one die from natural causes, of which we still have no idea what happened. My grandfather passed away about a year and a half ago, and just a few weeks ago, another old friend of mine passed away. There's much more in all of this to say I am a miracle of Christ simply because he has held me strong through emotional turmoil and redeemed me to be who I am today. 
I can proudly say today that my father and I have been back to being friends as we once were. We still have our arguments and our pesky little disagreements, but it is to no degree anything like our previous falling out. He has become an awesome friend of mine and a man that I will truly trust the rest of my life. And I thank God for him every day and for the athlete that he has taught me to be. With the values on the field that I will never regret having, mental toughness is not an easy task, but it always stay with me. I also am incredibly proud to admit that I do not struggle against pornography, and I'm not bound by Satan in that area. I also haven't been sick like I once was. I haven't experienced any pain or anything like that since the, the time that I was healed, and I'm 190 pounds and loving it. <laughs> and because of this freedom and healing, I'm able to travel and to play baseball with passion again. One last thing I cannot forget. There's always been one person in my life besides God that has never left my side. And she's never forsaken me. She's the smartest, wisest, most incredible person anyone could ever talk to. And I might be a little biased, but I truly do believe this. People see her to be very cryptic, but incredibly passionate if they take the time to get to know her. She knows what it's like to live life out, and that's because she's been through the worst of it all. My mother has always been through, by my side, through my sickness and hardships, through my resistance and through my iniquities. She has not given up on me in any way, shape, or form. My mother has given me everything, and because of that, she has truly shown me the love of Christ. Being here at Crown has been a staple event for me. Crown has shown me what it's like to come from the depths of despair to a place that is bright and gleaming with people. And it's gleaming with people that have been in leadership and are willing to care for those who are hurting. I've learned so many things in my time here at Crown that I could share, but one sticks out in particular, and hopefully I can sum it up in this one statement. Crown is not a place where healthy people go. It's a place where you suffer together. It's a place where you cry, hate, become angry, make mistakes, and it's where your life ends. But here's the thing. Your life ends, but you're given the opportunity to begin a new life every day. In that sense, you see at Crown College, life, happiness, creativity, joy, and people who love and live because our lives depend on Christ and what he did for us. Thank you. This is an email that I received Wednesday morning at 1.18 in the morning. Hey, Steele. I just wanted to double check and make sure that you would still introduce me for my senior testimony on this Friday, December 4th. I wanted to double check since you're kind of old now and I'm unsure of your memory. And then she signs it, thanks so much and God bless. <laughs> Haley Umphy. Haley asked me a few weeks ago if I would introduce her for her senior testimony, and I do count it a privilege. I asked her if she wanted me to tell the truth or lie. She said, whatever. So I'll let you decide for yourself. I've chosen a couple of words to describe Haley, whom I've known for about four years now. She is vibrant, always lively, except at 8 o'clock in the morning in economics. 
She is friendly and caring, except in economics, <laughs> where she wasn't so friendly and really didn't care about anything. <laughs> She's fun-loving. She doesn't take herself seriously, or economics. <laughs> she can be very sarcastic, especially in economics. <laughs> she loves life but not economics. <laughs> Haley, I don't know how to tell you this, but St. Peter at the Pearly Gates has an entrance examination waiting for you. <laughs> 50 questions, multiple choice, macro and microeconomics. My recommendation to you is psych up, and based on your past experience, start studying now. Haley. Oh, thanks, Steele. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, I'm Haley, obviously. Um, I've been here since fall of 2012, and I've been loving it ever since. On May 8th of 1994, on a sunny day in Southern California, my parents had their second child and almost immediately decided they may not want more children, or at least not for a little bit, you know? I came out of the womb with a large personality, as Steele mentioned, and a lot of quirks. I know you're all very shocked because you can tell it's obviously worn off by now, but, you know, it happened. But um, growing up, my parents didn't have the best childhoods, and we lived very far away from our extended family, so they kind of didn't really know what they were doing, but they knew what they didn't want to do, and they were always really open about just us all figuring it out together along the way. My parents nicknamed me at a young age, the Beast Baby from Hell. You might say I was a little bit of a handful at that point. Um, but. They always made sure to tell me that the things that they hated about me as a toddler were the things they were going to love about me as a grown woman. Some of those traits they would always tell me were great were my stubbornness, my inquisitive nature, my lack of bending to people unworthy of my respects well, and my independent self. These facts all led to my parents really trying to discipline me while still not breaking my will. I really respect them for considering not only just having an obedient child, but also raising a good adult. While growing up, my parents really wanted to raise us in the church because that was a place my mom wanted as a consistency for us kids. But I didn't really know what it meant to walk with Christ. I believed he existed and that he loved me, but he was so big that I didn't know there was any way I could participate in my faith other than just living a moral life. As I grew, I was still crazy, and, but start of me, part of me started to become aware of how other people saw me, and I began to feel really self-conscious of being so outrageous at such a young age. And my self-esteem wasn't really helped when I grew to this height in fifth grade, and um, soon after got braces. So, you know, it worked. Um, I was still a pretty happy kid and decided to push aside those feelings and attempt to be myself, but I soon came to realize there was a giant hole in me that I thought somehow something was wrong with me. My family will always be there for me, but we were also told throughout growing up that we needed to be strong, and I definitely didn't feel strong at that point, or any of those things, but 
I just felt so weak that I soon shut myself off. No one knew that I was a shell because I was strong enough or stubborn enough just to fake it. Um, this began in sixth grade, and I also started at that time my detrimental self-harm habits. I didn't consciously shut down my emotions, and again, I began to wonder if something was wrong with me. And soon, I just started thinking that not feeling anymore was just my fault. So I cut myself off. And I thought, if I cut myself, if I shoved thumbtacks into my body, if I pulled my hair as hard as I could, if I scratched myself hard enough to draw blood, if I drank myself into a stupor, if I took enough pills, not to overdose, but to fix me somehow, that it all worked for me. I had a close friend at the time who was also struggling with cutting, and she was caught by her parents during our seventh grade year. She got forced help, and I became even more secretive about everything, and I just stopped talking to anyone because I didn't want to get caught. I didn't want anybody to know about this. Um, so I always just made sure to hurt myself in places no one would ever see or question what was happening. I finally realized during this time period that I hated myself. I hated who I was born to be. When I realized this, it just broke me apart in a whole new way. My eighth grade year was even more turmoil coming on when our chosen family started having some real issues. We kind of, when we had our family life out there, we would just do all of those vacations, holidays, all that kind of stuff with our neighbors. And they kind of just became our chosen family. Within this adopted family, there was a death of a beloved great-grandmother who I now realize was just the first person to really show me who Christ was. And the family was torn apart by the mother leaving for another man. I had finally let my wall down to this family and I got burned hard. So I hit a new low during that time and I honestly have very little recollection of my eighth grade year. And my parents kept trying to get me to talk to people, but I was like a puppet on strings. No real emotion, but always the right response. I was still hurting myself, but God had a plan. The summer after eighth grade, I went to church camp, and while I was there, I connected very strongly with my youth group. And God just lifted the desire to hurt myself from me. It took me a really long time to understand why I went through that, and Honestly, I was majorly ashamed of myself for that time in my life. I saw it as weakness, and that didn't fit with the strong person I was supposed to be. After I came to Crown, I really started to connect with lots of people, and I learned what it meant to walk with Christ, but I didn't really want to share that part of my life because everyone else already seemed better than me at being a Christian anyway, so why did I just want to add to the list? I ended up making a really good friend named Daniel, and he and I started shared our past of self-harm. And it was so good to have someone to understand and to talk to about that at a place where it kind of felt like it had to be hidden. We, went, we would have so many amazing talks, and when he didn't come back the next year, it was really hard for me, but we still got to talk sometimes, and even though we were both busy. 
I hadn't heard from him in a while, and during this time, I had become a youth leader, and I started to have my heart ripped apart when these beautiful young girls, who I just thought were so fantastic, would come to me and talk to me about self-harm and suicidal thoughts. This is when I realized why God had me go through the pain in my youth, to help other people. I looked up verses to tell my girls, and most of them were corny, but they're kind of corny for a reason. I looked up verse, oh, yeah. Um, the first verse I just really tried to memorize and tell my girls was Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb, and I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me. When as yet there was not one of them. This was a verse I had heard many times before, but being honest, I hadn't ever really bought into it, at least for myself. My youth babies, as I like to refer to them, are so amazing and have such a light in their souls that I honestly can't imagine a more perfect way for God to have created them. Yes, they struggle, but I see their true innermost beauty in their brokenness and how they react to that brokenness. These girls in their, this passage helped me to realize I wasn't just a beast baby from hell or a mistake or a little too much for one person. I was exactly who he made me to be. I really wanted to share these things with Daniel because he understood, but he had stopped replying to me, so I just assumed he's moved into bigger and better friend groups and had found a support, support system where he was at. When I came back from my sister's graduation to go on a missions trip in summer of 2014, I got a call, and one of my friends told me he had taken his life. This tore me apart because I had been at least one person he had talked to about those feelings when he was at Crown. We had countless of conversations after hard days where we just needed to vent and freak out a little with somebody who understood. This really affected me, and this time I chose to let it keep affecting me because I knew, now realize how important it is to feel those things and not just to shut them off because they're hard. I'm not perfect now, but, and I still struggle with confidence, but great things, ugh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I still struggle with confidence, and it's a really good thing, obviously, when you are told to speak in chapel by God. So, um, I don't know who needed to hear what part of this, but I want you to know that even at Crown, it's okay to break, at least a little bit, and to be chipped and broken in places. Christ calls us in Matthew 11, 29 through 30, to take his yoke upon you and learn from him, for he is gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. When you leave Crown, don't expect to be a perfect person and to have life all figured out and completely dialed in. Expect to have a God big enough to carry you when you're weak and broken and who will guide your steps through it all. Thanks. I'm still pregnant, <laughs> just so you know. Haley had a backup, though, <laughs> just in case. Okay, so I'm going to um, lead us in prayer, and we're going to start with Haley.
Dear God, we come to you today and we just want to thank you so much for this girl. Pregnancy. <laughs> um, and then I pray that you just um, take what she's learned here and help her move out into the world and just show her imperfectness as perfection in you, Lord, and that your light can shine through through her and that she can have all the confidence because I know what it takes to speak in front of chapel and she did so great <laughs> and I pray that you'll just use her life and her story to continue to help her help her and um, mentor her youth babies um, throughout life and that you can just continue to bless her and keep her strong headed and stubborn and outrageous and vibrant um, life and personality um, shining for you. Don't you start crying now. <laughs> I'm going to pray for Josh. Father, I thank you for the friend and the brother that he's been. He's been. Um, Lord, the, the things that you've led him through, the experiences that he has had. Um, Jesus, would you illuminate the road before him, God? Uh, Lord, as he leads GIT and as he continues to lead on with his life, oh Lord, I pray for favor. Lord, I ask that you'd bless him. You continually remind him of who you are and who he is in your sight. I thank you for this, brother, and I thank you for this, friend. Amen. Lord, we thank you for Karina. We thank you so much for the work that you've done in the past in her life, the work that you're doing right now, and the work that's to come. Father, I pray that she would see what she needs to see and hear what she needs to hear and know what she know, needs to know. And Lord, that it would be at just the right time. Thank you, Lord, for the courage that you've built in her and give her an option to, an opportunity to use that voice for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Come up and say thank you to each of our students, and you're dismissed. <laughs>